welcome to More Than Myths. How's your week been? Oh, welcome to More Than Myths. Welcome to More Than Myths. I still mumble that every time. Welcome to More Than Myths. I had a daydream the other day, Haley, that we had a TV show and we got to go around the world and see all these cool old places and learn about the mythology in the areas that we traveled. And then we like our viewers got to see less like us learning about it and laughing and just enjoying ourselves. And this was a daydream that you had? Yeah. I, I loved like, it. Because, you know, sometimes you're like, where could this podcast go? What could happen? Right? Mm -hmm. Then I was like, possibilities. Really, they're endless. Like, could you imagine if we got to travel the world? No, I, no. It'd be wild. (laughs) And like, talk to the people who know the most about it. Like, we're clearly not the authority, right? Yeah. It would be crazy to interview people. I just broke this. Um, but yeah, but I was like, what if we kind of like interview people who were the experts on one mythology, like one wow. thing? Wow. And then we get to learn from the people who spent their whole lives learning. That's all right? I have to say is wow. That's all I be saying the whole wild. time. I I'm need just putting it out there. Of saying hi, I'd be like, wow. 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 <laughs> no. They tell me something. Wow. No. Really? <laughs> what? No. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, that was my nice little. I was like, "Oh, that'd be so." That cool. was a good daydream. That was yeah. a beautiful daydream. Um, yeah, my week's been good. Wild mom of three. Don't know what day it is, where I am, what time it is, but I'm here. I showed up doing <laughs> doing stuff. Doing stuff. How oh. are you? It was a good week. Um. Chris and I celebrated our six-year anniversary. We were married on leap year. Mm-hmm. And so our anniversary this year doesn't exist. So we get to just pick whatever day. <laughs> whatever <laughs> day. See, I'd be like, yeah. it's the 28th and the 1st. It's yeah. two days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we have Wednesdays off together. So we went and had high tea together, mm-hmm. which was so much fun. Yeah. That was our fun adventure that we did. I love high tea. Yeah, it was I very high tea. It was very fancy. And it was the situation where you work your way from the outside in with silverware. Because <laughs> there mm-hmm. was a lot. <laughs> yeah. And we, we had have a whole pot, like a whole pot of tea, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they could bring so you fun. more hot water if you wanted. Yeah. Um, but they would they had three I guess it was kind of like three courses. Like you had um, like your first like a soup and a little quiche. And mm-hmm. then they brought you this beautiful tower with sandwiches and pastries. And Ugh. and I looked at Chris and I was like, wait, we can eat as much of this as we want. And he looked at me and I was like, and no one's going to stop us. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like a feast. It was a feast. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah, we were there for quite a while. You and I need to do a trip like the boys can hang out and do something nerdy, but then you and I are going to go, Again. why are you doing that? 
answer. <laughs> Perfect. There we there go. There we go. Okay. Okay. But we're going to do a trip over to Victoria. You just get on a ferry and go over to Victoria. And there's this, which it's like this British colony, right? So yeah. there's this huge hotel on the water. T. Ah, the Empress Hotel. There we go. So you go to the Empress Hotel and you have high tea and it's so beautiful. Oh. And, and you get a whole tower to yourself <gasps> like we don't have you to get share a tower, a tower? i no, get a tower really i get my own pot of tea and then you can have champagne too like you can have mimosas as well with high tea i was just like i'm Whoa. never leaving no this is where i belong this is where i was supposed <laughs> to be my whole life yeah chris so. at the at the beginning i was like we need to figure out a way to do this more than just once a year and he was like yeah we could do it like you know every quarter like every couple of months and by the time he was done he was like we could probably come every month yeah <laughs> he's like we could figure out a way <laughs> it's our monthly high tea ritual it's our mon monthly high tea yeah yeah it was a lot of fun i'd love to get a big flouncy dress and yeah, yeah we'll get just all fancy the swishes when i walk and oh, girls trip yes, please oh my gosh <laughs> girls trip. i can see it now <laughs> me too god <laughs> Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> that was my dress <laughs> swishing in the wind. I understood. <laughs> good. I'm glad. Yes, please. Whatever the you. pastries. Mm -hmm. It was so good. Everything was so good. And and we I we, I couldn't eat it all. It was so much. Mm -hmm. And I got to bring my treats home. <gasps> and I was so excited. She's like, Do you want a box? And I like jumped out of my chair. I was like, Fuck yes, I want a box. <laughs> You're like, all of it. I need all of it. I know. I need scones. A <laughs> That's fucking scones. Oh, it was so good. That's all I need in life is scones. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, please. If anybody who makes scones wants to sponsor us, I'll With talk honey about honey butter, please. I'll talk about it all day. All every day. day. Whenever Forget you want. Myths. This is more than scones. <laughs> We're your girls. <laughs> We're your girls. Baked goods, you got it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Just send them to us. Yeah. Please, my God. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, that sounds lovely. Happy anniversary. Thank you. <laughs> and technically, you've only been married one year. Technically. This is true. Just one. Because our anniversary is not until 2024. Yeah. God, mm -hmm. that must. Is it fun or is it kind of a bummer every year? No, it's fun. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I feel we... like it could go both ways where you're like, wow. We were like, it's really not our anniversary. Yeah. You know, but, like, but it is. Yeah. Every four years we could do a big, you know, because we don't do a big thing every year. I mean, right. you know. Um, but every four years, if we really wanted to, we could be like, let's go to Maine or let's go to <laughs> Maine. Okay, Stephen <laughs> King. Oh yeah, huh? Well, uh, let's go to I was going to say Montana. Oh, my God. Dream bigger, to, Haley. Let's go to Paris. Yeah, go to Europe or go to England for high tea. There oh, that's go. too fancy. I bet I'd probably have a breakdown. I'd be like, I really don't know what I'm doing. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. <laughs> Just be like, I'm American. And they'll be like, oh, oh my God. Right. Sheet. And then they'd be like, oh, get out. 
<laughs> or they'll Get put out. you in the American section. So you're just with other people who know who have no idea what's happening. We're just looking at each other like, help. <laughs> help. We don't know what to do. <laughs> They're using like the tea strainer oh as a soup spoon. Oh my. Yeah. Ridiculous. <laughs> Are you ready? I'm so ready because you've had the giggles about this ever since I've been talking to you about it. It's just evolved and changed. And then I was like really into my notes and I was planning on doing like a two-part episode on it. Yeah. And then I was like, oh my God, this is a lot. It changed. So I'm going to just say it and then we're going to go. Okay. So today... We're going to talk about the seven deadly sins. Excellent. Yeah. But okay. also, we're going to get into demonology. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I was starting with seven deadly sins, and then I find out that there's some demons associated, and then I got I, I went down the rabbit hole, and then I was looking at each of the demons, and I was like... <laughs> wow they could have their own episodes each so yeah it just escalated got out of hand maybe a little bit bit. so we're just gonna start from the beginning excellent i'm ready i am my pants are my pants are buckled oh good whichever one it was buckled (laughs) i definitely were gonna be like my pants are not buckled. <laughs> it's not what I was you were gonna say. <laughs> Bye. Uh, Too many spicy books. Uh, okay. <sighs> Here we go. All right. What are the seven deadly sins? What are they? Okay. So the sins are actually from Roman Catholic theology, and they have a few names. Um, seven deadly sins, as we know. Um, the seven capital sins, the seven cardinal, cardinal sins, mortal sins, or capital vices. So, again, mm-hmm. kind of like mushroom rings and fairy circles. Yeah. Like it's all, there are a lot of interchangeable definitions for the seven deadly sins, and they're all essentially the same thing. Mm-hmm. They all are the same thing. Um. So they're called mortal or deadly because they cause they can cause death to your soul is how they were portrayed. Oh, yeah. I'm like, that's Whoa. very serious. Yeah. I'm assuming that means that your soul just doesn't exist anymore. Well, it's like pieces of your your goal is to be like as close to God as possible. Yeah. Right? And so mm-hmm. you're you're committing one of these sins breaks and damages your soul okay right and so it's like a piece of it will never be the same oh okay i guess you know and so there were originally eight in the early works with evargus ponticus i think is how it said um and then his he had a apprentice someone who studied under him um named john cassian and so they they originally kind of had eight established. And then, you know, John Cassian wrote down um, Evargus was a Christian monk. And he, so John Cassian is like the one who wrote his works down and kind of shared his um, ideology with Europe. So these come to Pope Gregory the first, 
it's the sixth century. It's oh, only like yeah, five hundred AD. Yeah. Um. So anyway, Pope Gregory the first slims them down to seven and actually replaces sloth with sadness. He also gave each deadly sin a a corresponding virtue. Oh, okay. So a way to kind of balance your acts. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. So in the 13th century, Thomas Aquinas revisited the list and established uh, that had been established by the Pope and removed sadness as a sin and added sloth back in. Mm. Um. So this I'm going to read the sins and their corresponding virtues. So pride and humility, greed and charity. Lust and chastity, envy, gratitude, gluttony, temperance, wrath, patience, sloth, diligence. To outweigh being prideful, you would be, um, you'd have humility. What's the other word? Humble. Humble. There we go. So you would want to live your life humbly, right? Mm -hmm. If to outweigh greed, you'd want to live your life giving to charity and contributing to your church. Mm-hmm. Um, lust, you're not going to be an adulterer. Or to outweigh that, you'd want to be chaste or um, virtuous. virtuous or committed, you know, oh, if yeah. you're in that mm-hmm. kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, envy, be grateful for what you do have. Don't compare yourself to others. Don't, you know, wish you had more. Be grateful for what you do have, right? Gluttony, so temperance, um, being able to slow yourself down, not want too much, not overindulge, be able to be modest in the way you eat and the way you show up, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Wrath, patience, that one's pretty straightforward. Sloth and diligence. So if you let sloth get the best of you, like you need to be on top of your chores out in the world, do it contributing. You know, believe it or not, my daydream kind of was triggered by the fact that I found a mini series podcast by Stephen Fry on the seven deadly sins. And when oh, I, I saw it, it was so good. I screamed and I was just like, ah! and I listened to Pride. And I was kind of hoping because he wrote Mythos and Heroes and Troy, I was kind of hoping he was going to get into like the mythology and the kind of story of where it came from and mm-hmm. whatnot. And it, so I've only listened to the first episode because he actually takes it and puts it into a modern scope and kind mm. of explains like pride. He's like, pride doesn't make sense to be a cardinal sin anymore because mm-hmm. literally there's an entire month named pride these days. Mm-hmm. And he's like us gay right. folk, you know, we identify with the fact that we are able to be ourselves. And so a lot of it was about being making people small and making people mm-hmm. humble Give to right. your church. Yep. Make sure you're not sleeping around. Have gratitude for what you have. You know, be enjoy the food that's on your table. Mm-hmm. Be patient with your lawmakers, your churches, you know, like, and then diligence, commit, do what's, you know, put your work do in. what's right. You know, so it's mm-hmm. like kind of this, he's, he flipped it on it. He flips them on their heads. So mm-hmm. there's a, like an eight part series about it. 
and I can't wait to get into it. But then I was like, this isn't going to help me this week. <laughs> I'm coming back to you, Stephen Fry, because – and then I was like, wow, it would be so cool to sit down with him. And that's where this whole like TV show thing came in. I was like, what if we got to sit down with people who just knew their shit? Okay. So anyway, that's a really cool dynamic and a way to think about it. And so mm-hmm. I was like, whoa. These were made to make people feel small. And so now mm-hmm. it's like there's this whole realm of today where it's like, well, I'm only going to eat the foods that I want to eat. Or exactly. Gonna, I like I there's ways to use these sins in a new light. Right. Yeah. So anyway, mm-hmm. it's super interesting. Highly recommend at least the first episode that I listened to. Um, okay. So the sin the sins are said to remove you further from God. Oh, therefore being too much of any of them means you need to practice more of its counterpart, right? Yes. So it's like, this is how you balance and you must confess your sins. Otherwise, they're not washed clean. All, you know, Catholicism. Um, So Richard G. Neuhauser, an English professor at Arizona State, um, edited some books on the seven deadly sins. And here's a quote of his. It says, committing one of these mortal sins and not confessing and doing penance and so on will result in the death of a soul and then you'll be in hell for eternity and your soul will be in hell for eternity anyway so that's a bit of the background on how they're established where they come from why we know them today they've Mm -hmm. been they're in a lot of different movies and tv shows they've been adapted in many different ways i did a play in high school that was called ash girl and it was a cinderella where she's actually being like each character had a sin that they were being like affecting them so one of the sisters was gluttony one mm-hmm. of the sisters was anger and the mother was greed and you know yeah. so it's like and then there was this like personified creature that went with each of them it was a mm-hmm. really 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 fun show but um so that one and i also read that gilgan's island oh each of the characters are a personification of the seven deadly sins interesting i haven't watched like any of that so I haven't either, but I, I mean, that's an interesting you know, Gilligan is kind of a dummy <laughs> and lazy. And so he's yeah. supposed to be sloth, I guess. Gotcha. And interesting. Then, like, yeah. Hmm. So there's different. I didn't know that. I didn't watch Gilligan's Island. I just found that when I was looking around today. So so now we're going to kind of jump into the demonology of it. So this is where it got fun. And I went down yeah. a rabbit hole and <laughs> I'm sorry. And next week is going to be even more demons. So just. <laughs> Excellent. Buckle up your pants. <laughs> um, so I'm going to introduce you to the seven princes of hell. Um, these are actually high-level demons who reign over hell itself and have powers over all demons in hell. Um, and they could destroy any of the low- lower demons with the snap of their finger. They're like souped up, OP, Whoa. don't want to get in a boss fight with these guys. Yeah. Kind of demons. Um, so it's said that humans can actually summon these princes of hell, um, but their human presence can be detrimental. What? <laughs> so I have <clears throat> this just reminded me, I have a, a sticker on my car that's the sigil of Lilith, and it's right on my driver's side window. <laughs> and there's a sandwich shop that I go to mm-hmm. and sometimes on my lunch. And <laughs> I went through and the kids like Lilith and I was like you're right and he has recognized my car because of the sticker and so I call him Solomon because it's from the Song of Solomon Yeah, and he calls me Lilith 
I don't know this kid's first. I don't even know this kid's first name. He's like, it's good to see you. You know, like, hope you've had a good month. That's <laughs> so the last time I went through, last time I went through, he's like, summoned any demons lately? And I was like, one or two. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> that just reminded me. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> That's hilarious. Amazing. Um, okay, so they can be summoned. Um by humans but their presence can be detrimental it's said that the prince of lust could be could cause a blackout in all of north america um whoa and some others require human sacrifice oh to be brought so it's like oh if you're summoning them you're serious serious whoa um so they're also known as the seven emperors or the seven kings of hell um they are each a personification of a deadly sin and a ruler of a certain ring in hell. Um, while there are other demons and fallen angels in hell, they're said to be the most important, i.e. prince or king. Mm -hmm. And it says that they're also far more than seven. These are just the top mm -hmm. ranking. So how did they end up there? We're going to talk a little bit about, you know, Lucifer's fall and war with God. So... Lucifer, which actually translates to Morning Star, which is what he was referred to in heaven, um, is supposed to be one of the most beautiful angels. And this is the reason for him being associated with pride, is that he kind of let it get to his head. I mean, if you are the most beautiful thing ever created, mm -hmm. aren't you just the most beautiful thing ever created? Right. I don't see how that makes sense to me. <laughs> um <laughs> So he decides to challenge God and his position over them all. Um, and the other angels start to conspire. So they're all in the choir, right? And they all have this opportunity to kind of whisper to each other. And Lucifer is explaining, hey, you know, I don't think this whole hierarchy is working for me. Like, let's overthrow him, right? Mm -hmm. And so each angel who decides to join him in his battle mm -hmm. all have their own reasons to conspire. So you know, greed doesn't have enough and mm -hmm. anger is frustrated with, you know, these, right. they all start to embody these sins mm -hmm. that wouldn't be present in heaven. No. Right. right. So um, Lucifer feeling like he's better and he could do it better and his mm -hmm. pride, right. They all plan to rebel and join Lucifer in his war against God. As these sevens battled and there were more who mm -hmm. fell as well, but I didn't get into that. So they all fell due to the hands of more powerful angels. Um, and some something the fallen angels did not forget is harboring their frustration for their, like, counterpart sure. for eons. And so I'm assuming um, – no, I'm assuming that these archangels are probably the personification of chastity and you know they're like opposites yeah they're the opposites the mm -hmm. virtues right the yeah. things that we would find in heaven and so but they take this with them they take that frustration that anger you know they're like mm -hmm. i know what you did and this um battle and this like frustration and this grudge is held for eons mm -hmm. they know who sent them right so as these angels fall they land in what's called the abyss uh, and essentially a giant, giant crater that's formed from their impact. Um, so Holy yeah, they hit. Yeah. Each of them receives received wounds. 
and either horrible or fatal injuries that from their archangel rivals and the but they're immortal so they they all just kind of become scarred and disfigured and they start to personify their sin now mm-hmm. that they're no longer an angel they're a fallen angel so these scars are also reminders too of the damage done to them by their counterparts and fuel their hatred mm. three of the fallen angels were the first to wake and that was lucifer beelzebub and samael um mm-hmm. and since they were the first up they were the highest rulers and of these sinful fallen angels the abyss starts to transform because the sin is literally like schlefting off of them and creating the world around them sure yeah and therefore creating hell itself so let's talk about peter binsled let's talk he's a german religious scholar and bishop from the late 1500s and he was heaven heavily involved with the witch trials and trier, which in Germany and France, I didn't realize that there were witch trials happening in Europe as well as on the North American continent. I haven't gotten that's, into it much. That's pretty wild. That's wild. That's pretty wild. Um, and so he was actually he actually wrote a book called Of the Confessions of Warlocks and Witches mm-hmm. and shared the confessions that he was able to get out of these so-called witches and warlocks Mm -hmm. because of his religious knowledge. Mm -hmm. But it was essentially his torture of them to admit that they were witches. So it was like he shared it and he was like, here's this one and this one and here's what I did to get it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and everybody, he was considered super intelligent because of it (laughs) because he had all this hard evidence of how Mm -hmm. he – got rid of warlocks and witches. Right. And so he was the expert on the religious supernatural. In 1598, he publishes a list of demons. And these are our princes of hell. He believed that the seven deadly sins were so much more than just sin Mm -hmm. that there have to have been actual demons to influence these actions. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is where... The sins that had been established by the Roman, like the Roman Catholic Church already, mm-hmm. he's like the all-knowing and the supernatural. He's going to give each of these sins a demon, and these people, you know, these demons are to be feared, and because I know who a witch is, right? So seriously, like as I was doing the research, I was like, some guy, yeah, yep, was like here. Are the demons. Yeah. I didn't, I mean, I haven't, you know, I don't have a degree in this, <laughs> but that seems highly suspect to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so today I'm actually just going to talk about one of the seven. So next week I'm going to talk about the other six. We're mm-hmm. going to go into their lore and what they look like, all that kind of stuff. So today, mm-hmm. because we've already done all this background in history we're just going to talk about one of them and the first one we're going to talk about is the most widely known and it's the personification of wrath and that's satan mm-hmm. um he's the sixth prince of hell um he has many different variations that he appears as one of them is a great red dragon mm-hmm. we also the satan that is probably most well known 
is our horned cloven fourth hooved cloven. I said foofed. Cloven foofed. Cloven floofed. Probably. Cloven floofed. Imagine him getting a petty. Yeah, right? Like, I'm getting my cloven floofed. You know, it's fine. It's just fancy. (laughs) Cloven hooved. Um, Hairy legs, pitchfork, you know. Mm-hmm. Standard goat's head. Um, and this is said to be a combination of many pagan gods um, that they kind of mashed together. Okay. Right. Um, in Dante's version. So there's also, so I have a couple different like sources I'm pulling from at this point because we've got layers of hell. We've got seven deadly sins. We've got personified sins. And then like Dante's version of these demons is really different from our goat cloven hoofed Satan that we know and love. So mm-hmm. it's like, it's all over the place. So, but yeah. I really want to bring as much information to each of these as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, so in Dante's version, he's actually a giant frozen bat creature. That frozen? Lives, he lives on the ninth level of hell, which is oh, frozen. Oh, so it's cold? So it's cold. Oh, Okay. And it seems that Dante's Satan is interchangeable with Luc- Lucifer. Okay. Which in my – what I was looking at, they're different. Okay. So, you know, he might be Lucifer. He might not be Lucifer. But not what I was looking at. So Satan has a few other forms. In 7 BCE, he was said to be an androgynous being with no hair, pale skin, and this is the version that actually te- tried to tempt Jesus. Um, oh, okay. But he's also said to take human form of a man or woman, mm-hmm. um, both with dark hair and red eyes. Um, yeah, but beautiful. Sure. Yeah. Really put together, very mm-hmm. clean. Like the woman is in a nice dress, and the mm-hmm. suit is, and the man's in a nice suit. So, but when you see them, you would be overcome with fear. Or panic, like something's off. Like it's right? an uh, oh, it's an unsettling mm-hmm. meeting. Yeah, yikes! Satan is also said to contribute all so- sorcery to the world. Okay, which is why um, there is this published work done during the witch trials in France and Germany that helps solidify the connection of Satan and witches. So they're like, oh yeah. Witches use sorcery, and you know who is the you know all powerful of sorcery? Mm-hmm. Satan. So witches equal Satan, right? Burn them, you know, whatever <laughs> they decided was the right way to the go. appropriate thing to do. Yeah. Um. And so he was at one time just a like pitiful kind of repulsive demon that didn't have a lot of clout. Um, okay. But with witchcraft building in popularity, which I know popularity isn't the word, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. As yeah. it got more and more prevalent in Wide each spread, area. Yeah. yeah. Um, so did he. So Satan wasn't always like yeah. the demon that was the scariest, right? That's interesting. Until the 1500s. Yeah. He starts to become, you know, a bigger deal. So the concept of the devil and the per- is the personification of evil, mm-hmm. um, and it's 
been around many cultures for millennia. So this is he this isn't a new concept at all. So um I just want to name some of his power-ups. I love that. <laughs> because I was definitely looking at fandom.com and it's like you power can ups. use these in D yeah. D, right? And yeah. I was like, okay. Um so powerful in combat, immortal, a magician and or sorcerer. Um, he has speed and reflexes that are unmatched, a master deceiver and master of manipulation as well. Mm-hmm. Um, unlimited intelligence. Um, and he is also the like holder of the profane trinity, which is the opposite of the holy trinity. Mm-hmm. So, and the profane trinity is Satan beast and false prophet okay so yeah that is the beginnings of our dive into demonology and the seven deadly sins personified that's great so good i love it i just I was like, I'm going to do half of them tonight and half of them next week so much and I was doing my research so and I was much. like, and I didn't even like, I didn't even, we could do a whole episode yeah. on Satan alone. Mm-hmm. I didn't even scratch the surface. No, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> but I was just like, oh my God, there's so much information here. So yeah. next week, come and learn about pride, gluttony, lust, envy, greed, and the last one. You're on one. your own. I don't know. I got last. <laughs> Sloth. Sloth. There we go. <laughs> last to show up. <laughs> okay. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you a murder mystery story. <gasps> Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I listened to, um, I actually just learned about this a couple of weeks ago. I was listening to, and that's why we drink and, mm-hmm. uh, Christine, it was episode 219 and she talked about the Somerton man. Do you know anything about the Somerton man? No. It sounds like the candy man. You're like, do no. you know? Do you know? No. Okay. No, I um, don't. Also, uh, Astonishing Legends, another favorite podcast of mine, did um, a four-part series in 2016 on this. And they, I mean, they went really deep. I mean, they, again, are, they've been around since 2014. So mm-hmm. they were able to get interviews with, you know, some of the researchers. Like they talked mm-hmm. to a guy that does poetry. Um, I mean, it's just bananas. So we're in this is um one of the most well-known John Doe cases, um, maybe in the world, but it takes place in Australia. Okay. So the year is 1948. Um, it's December 1st. It's the first day of summer. And we're at Somerton Beach, which is near Glenelg. Um, it's about seven miles southwest of Adelaide, Australia. 
Okay. So it's about five between 5.30 and 6.30 in the morning. And there's two jockeys, two young jockeys. They're probably about 16, 17 years old. And they are taking their horse out to the beach to exercise the beach. And they see a guy that's laying in the sand. And he's got his head kind of rested up against the seawall. Like his body's totally flat. Um, but his head's just like tilted up against the back of the seawall. Yep. Yeah. And they think, look, guy's probably drink, like had a... You know, he's probably drunk, he's asleep. So they exercise their horse, they go down the beach and they come back and he's still there. He hasn't moved. And so the one of the jockey, his name is Horace Patching. They they used to call him Hori. Um, mm-hmm. he jumps off the horse and he goes over to the guy and he lifts his leg up and he's totally stiff and they realize like this guy's dead. So a crowd kind of starts to gather. And there's a guy named Jack Lyons, and he had gone out for a swim that morning. But the night, like the night before, him and his wife had taken a walk on the beach, and they saw this guy. And he like lifted his right arm up and like kind of like let it flop back down on his stomach. And they were kind of like, "Oh yeah, he he's probably just drunk. Like it wasn't a big thing, you know. It was just right. a guy. It didn't stick out. To it them. didn't. No, but they remembered him. So Jack Lyons actually ends up calling the police." So um, he's taken to the Royal Adelaide Hospital and a Dr. John Barkley Bennett comes out and he's like, there's not anything I can do. He's dead. <laughs> D-E-A-D he's, dead. He's dead. He's probably been dead since about 2 a.m. Um, okay. based on his current state of rigor mortis. Mm-hmm. And they take the body to the morgue. So a pathologist, <laughs> John Dwyer, he had a nickname of Barb. So it was barbed wire. <laughs> okay. That's He's the great. One. <laughs> he is the one that examines the body. So he is a 40 to 45 year old man. He's five foot tall, um, 11 inches. He has gray eyes, bare to ginger colored hair. He's graying at the temples. He's actually a really good looking guy. You should, um, let me see if I can send you. I'll look him up. So here comes your first picture. This is kind of what he what he was thought to i sent it to your phone sorry so this is kind of what they think that he looked like he's not a bad looking guy he's actually really sharp looking like oh so, not barbed wire barbed wire not barbed wire no this is this i definitely I'm thought you were talking you thought i was sending you a picture of barbed wire no. <laughs> about the guy i thought you were like he's uh-uh. a pretty good looking no mortician no the summerton man Got it. Okay. Yeah. So this is what he and we'll have pictures posted on the on our Instagram. Mm-hmm. So he's um he was described as having in Australia they call it an A frame, but here in the States it's just broad shouldered with a really narrow waist. Um he has really high pronounced calf muscles, like a dancer or a runner. Mm-hmm. Um and they also said that his feet were kind of pointed, like his his toe was kind of leaning to the side, like he had been wearing point shoes or running shoes. Um, when they found him, um, oh, also a note, um, he there wasn't any signs of violence. Um, there wasn't any signs of um, like vomiting or like if he had been poisoned. Um, there wasn't any diarrhea, you know, signs of a struggle. Um, right. He did have blood in his stomach and he'd also eaten a pasty a couple hours before he died. 
um, he did actually have some interesting genetic, physical genetic anomalies. Um, so less than 2% of the population, white European population, um, it's a condition called hypodontia. Mm-hmm. And your incisors are missing. So oh. your um your two front like you have your two front teeth and then yeah. the teeth right next to it are missing. Oh. And I don't know if it was um they had just like his other teeth had been pushed forward and they grew in. So it kind of looks like, you know, your your incisors, your canines are kind of closer, so you kind of have a look of Almost like a vampire, but I'm not like sure if on him if they were missing or if they were just pushed forward. That I don't know. Um, but he was also missing 18 teeth, which on Astonishing Legends, they talked about There's there was a practice um, that people would have their healthy teeth pulled to save for dentures. <gasps> Yuck. Yep. Um I didn't look into I didn't look into that any further and I refuse to. No. If anybody wants to fact check us, go for it. Have Uh, it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, His hands and nails didn't reflect any like manual labor. Um, Okay. So he has um, Mm. another strange anomaly where his ear, you have like your basic ear canal, which is called your cavum. And then right mm-hmm. above that is a smaller canal called your Simba, C-Y-M-B-A. And his Simba and his cavum were actually flipped. So his his cavum was kind of smaller and his Simba was a lot bigger. Um, it's a pretty noticeable genetic anomaly. Um, I don't think this one has a name, but it's also pretty rare. Um, so they noticed that in him as well. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of a weird thing. Um, he was found wearing a white shirt, a red, white, and blue tie, brown trousers, socks, and shoes that had just recently been polished, um, a brown knit pullover, um, a very fashionable gray and brown double-breasted jacket, reportedly of American tailoring. They had the jacket looked at in it the machine that stitched it together was actually not available in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of the tags from his clothing had been carefully snipped out. Um, he didn't have a hat. Mm-hmm. He didn't have a hat, which was very unusual. And he's also not really dressed for the beach. Um, a thing to note is that it wasn't windy. So his hat couldn't have blown away. Um, right. He doesn't have a wallet. He doesn't have any ID on him and he doesn't have any money. Um, they do find a cigar or a cigar, a cigarette behind his ear and a half smoked cigarette on his right lapel. Um, on his person, they find a second class train ticket from Adelaide to Henley Beach, a bus ticket from the city that may or may not have been used, um, an aluminum comb that was made in the United States, um, a half empty pack of juicy fruit gum, which was not, it was kind of a weird. Because usually it was, like, kids that would chew juicy fruit. Adults right. didn't usually chew juicy fruit. It was kids and teenagers. So that was kind of an odd thing. He had um, a pack of cigarettes called Army Club, which was typically smoked by members of the military. But they weren't actually Army Club cigarettes. They were a brand called Casitas, which was a UK brand. So he had taken the cigarettes from this army club and did something with them Mm -hmm. and then replaced them with 
way more expensive cigarettes. Kind of a weird. Yeah. They also later found a quarter full box of Bryant and May matches. And these matches are actually made in England. Um, and they would, wow. they would turn up later. They didn't actually find like, so there was a thought that maybe somebody had lit his cigarette for him, but like he actually had, had the ability to light it himself and smoke half of it and then have the energy to put that pack of matches back in his pocket, which was an interesting thing. So, um, the cigarettes were never tested for poison. Hmm. So they thought maybe, you know, they they looked at his body and they, he does have some pre-existing conditions, like his spleen was three times larger than it was supposed to be. Um, they thought maybe that he had died due to poisoning, but there wasn't any, like, real sign of being poisoned. Like, the sand around him wasn't really disturbed as if he'd had convulsions or, you know, seizures if he was there was any vomit. Um, it kind of looked like he just maybe went to sleep really um another theory was that he it was positional asphyxiation asphyxiation because Uh the way his head was tilted like he just fell asleep or didn't have the energy or something had happened and he suffocated Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah (laughs) you owe me a not a soda no i'll come up with something Mm -hmm. um so they did test for poisons but nothing nothing turned up they tested the pasty they yeah, they sent it out and nothing came back. So there were two poisons that could actually, that he could have taken um, that wouldn't show up in testing. And it was called digitalis and strop, strop thin, strop thin, thin? I don't know, something. Um, but those it cause, I think those can cause some of the, they're a heart, they'll affect your heart um i guess that james the what's the guy who's the guy that does james bond um craig uh, what's his name daniel craig daniel craig thank you um i guess that in one of his shows he takes one of these drugs and he starts acting really crazy and um but it affects your heart and can make you have convulsions and vomiting and all of that stuff which he had no Mm -hmm. signs of so it's up for debate there's a lot of there's a lot of theories about what happened to this guy so um, they take a full set, police take a full set of his prints and they circulate it throughout the English speaking world. Nothing turns up. <laughs> they have photos published of this guy. Um, mm-hmm. they have relatives of missing persons brought in to look at this body and not a single person can identify this man. They don't know who he is. They've exhausted all their options. Um, so they take his dental records again, nothing turns up. Um, so they put out a call for abandoned property to bus stations, hotels, dry cleaners, railway stations, and a lost property office in the area. And so that he was found December 1st and it, 1948. And on the 14th of January, 1949, the train station lets the police station know like, hey, we have an abandoned suitcase. It was dropped off on the 30th of November at 11 <sighs> in, the, in the morning, the day before he was discovered. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So in this suitcase, I'm going to read you 
the stuff that was in the suitcase. Um, so this guy's really physically fit. Like, he's in really good condition. Uh-huh. Um, there isn't any, like, they can't figure out what has happened to this guy. So they get the suitcase. And in it <laughs> is a dressing gown and cord, a laundry bag with the name Keen, K-E-A-N-E, written on it. One pair of scissors sharpened to a point in a sheath. One knife in a sheath. It was like a table knife, but it had also been sharpened into a point. One stencil brush. Two singlets, which is like a men's undershirt now. Mm-hmm. Um, one coat shirt. One pair of pajamas. One yellow coat shirt. One singlet bearing the name Keen without the E on the end. One singlet with the name torn out. One shirt without a name tag. Six handkerchiefs. One piece of lightboard. I don't know what that is. Um, Eight large envelopes, one small envelope, two coat hangers, one razor strap, one cigarette lighter, one razor, one shaving brush, one small screwdriver that was said to be an electrician's screwdriver, one toothbrush, toothpaste, one glass dish, one soap dish containing a hairpin, which was unusual because hairpins were usually uh, female. Uh Men didn't usually have hairpins. Three safety pins, one front and back collar stud, one brown button, one teaspoon, one broken pair of scissors, one card of tan thread, which is important to note, and I'll tell you about that in just a second, one tin of tan boot polish, two airmail stickers, which suggests that he was sending international mail, one scarf, one towel, and unspecified numbers of pencil, mostly Royal Sovereign brand, and three pencils were H. Wow. This is all in this suitcase. Yeah. So I did find an interesting article that a couple days before, like a month before, let me see if I can find it really fast. There was like, like pants and like socks. There there weren't any socks in the suitcase, which was odd. Um, Like he didn't really pack to like well, be gone for a long time. Yeah. Who has no. like sharpened scissors and a teaspoon and a, and like, unsharp scissors. And sharpened scissors, right? Why do you need one broken, one sharpened to a point? Like, why? Yeah, it's just a weird, it's a really weird assortment of mm-hmm. stuff. Um, let me see if I can find this. But I don't, I think it was earlier in the month, there was like, shirts and stuff that showed up on the beach it was really weird oh yeah okay so on the 28th of november a man's three-piece suit sport trousers a shoe several pairs of socks and an overcoat and a rifle stock without a barrel is discovered at the water's edge of somerton beach that's on the 28th of november 1948 yeah yep kind of a weird thing i don't know if it has anything to do with it it was just on a website that i found that gives kind of a timeline of everything that um happened leading up to this point so there's a real there's a little card um of orange linen thread the brand is barber and they were able to pair the suitcase the contents of the suitcase to this guy because one there was a pocket on his pants that was stitched up, mended using this thread. And there was also buttons on his shirt that had been reattached with this same thread. So they knew it was his. 
that was the only like they had it microscopically matched to the Mm -hmm. to the thread that was on his person and it matched it was a match that's amazing i was like yeah how do we know this is a bag right but that's so cool okay yeah yep yeah so they they were really trying to figure out um so in april 1949 um so they just froze this guy they like i guess I don't want to use the word pumped him full of formaldehyde, but pumped him full of formaldehyde and froze him. Yeah. Um, because they were trying to figure out who he was. And if you put somebody in the ground, it's, you know, it's frowned upon Hard to, to come back. body. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So they were trying to keep him there. Fresh. Right. So in April 1949, a John Cleland, who was a professor of pathology, was brought in to reexamine the body and see if he could find anything else. So... I believe in Astonishing Legends, they talk about, I believe he or one of his, he, I think he might have brought somebody with him, but they put the guy's clothes on and were trying to figure out like if there was anything that they might have missed. And, you know, that little tiny pocket, like that tiny little pocket on your jeans. So I, they, at the bottom of this pocket, they had to use tweezers to get it out was a rolled up piece of paper. The paper was rectangular, like it was just a little piece of paper, like it had been ripped out of a book. And in the middle of the page are the words, Tamam should. And they're like, what does that even mean? So they put out a call and a guy named a police reporter for the paper, for a local paper named Frank Kennedy calls them and he tells them it's Persian. This is a Persian phrase. So Tamam is a noun meaning the end and should indicates past tense. So tamam should means like the end or it is finished. Mm -hmm. It was put at the very end of the book. So this phrase appears at the end of a book of poetry from the 11th century called the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam. Why was it rolled up so tight? And why was it shoved down in that little pocket so far down there that they had to get tweezers to get it out? So the police put out this call to anybody. They start looking in libraries, bookshops, everywhere. They're like, hey, if anybody has this book, we would really love to hear from you. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. they're trying to exhaust all all options. Mm-hmm. On July, so that was April. That was in April. So mm-hmm. July 23rd, 1949, a man comes forward and he's like, I'm pretty sure I have the exact book you're looking for. <gasps> he had been driving around for weeks. He shared his car with his brother and it was in <laughs> it was in the back of the like in the footwell and they each thought it was the others and so it got thrown in the jockey box or the glove box mm-hmm. and so he takes the book to the police station. They turn to the back of the book and out of that page Corner. is the missing is the missing part and they're like this isn't they're like well how did you come to get this book and he's like i have no idea this is a time when they would keep their windows rolled down their doors were unlocked so somebody just walking past threw the book in their car and they thought that it was the other brothers right it's just it gets more and more wild yeah so um so they have this book now, and on the back of the book is 
they have to use ultraviolet light to actually see it, but there's a code and it's all these random letters. So maybe it's a code, maybe it's a cryptic. So to kind of give you an idea, because I know the listeners can't, are curious friends. I mean, again, we'll have pictures of us on our Instagram, but it's five lines long. Uh And it is just random letters. So the first one, people aren't sure if it's a W or an M, but it's W or M. R-G-O-A-B-A-B-D. Doesn't make any sense. Nobody. And to this day, there have been supercomputers. There have been police. There have been, like, college students. So many people have tried to crack this. Nobody knows. But we're pretty sure it's not gibberish. Um, People think that... It might be an acrostic, which is um, like, did you ever in school put your, like, you put your name in a line and C is for cool, that kind of a deal. Some people might think maybe it's just a grocery list. Like, maybe he needed to get radishes and grapes and olives and apples and bananas, you Uh know, like, so. um, Gosh, yeah. How funny would that be? Right. If it was trying to break a a code, then he's mm -hmm. just like quick, handy. Quick, yeah, it's a theory that maybe it's his own shorthand. Um, Mm -hmm. But there is a theory that this guy was a Soviet spy. So it's right after World War II. It's Mm -hmm. right around the time of the Cold War. Um, So they would use these things called one-time sheets or one-time codes. Mm -hmm. And then you would, like, burn it or throw it away or whatever. And so, um, like, the A could mean, like, in this book – the Rubaiyat go to, you know, page 10, line 7, and this will, you know, give you your next clue or whatever. Right. Um, next to this code was two phone numbers. One phone number went to a local bank. The second one ring to a house on Mosley Street. So they go to this house on Mosley Street, and a woman named Joe Thompson answers. And this is about 400 meters away from where the Somerton man was found. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So they get her. So she kind of went by a couple different names. She went by Joe, J-O, Jessica. Mm-hmm. And she also went by Justin, which was the name that she kind of gave herself. Um, okay. But they go to her house, or I guess she comes to the station, and they show her a picture of this guy. She's like, I don't know who that is. But before a couple... I want to say a couple months, maybe a couple weeks before, um, when the Summerton man was still frozen, they had a taxidermist brought in and they had a plaster cast of his, like from his shoulders up made because you he needed to be buried, basically. Right. They're like, we got to put this guy in the ground. We got to put this guy to rest. Yeah. We can't keep him frozen. We've pushed mm-hmm. it long enough. So over the course of two days, they took a plaster cast of him and- they have her look at this. They bring the plaster cast in and it has a cloth over it and they lift the cloth up and she looks at it and then refuses to look at it, looks at the floor, will not look at them, gives them very short answers of either yes, no, I don't know. Um, One of the officers thought she was going to pass out 
like the, she was like shaking and kind of like swaying back and forth. She was mm -hmm. so shocked. Like the look on her face was just pure shock. But she denied knowing this guy. There are some theories about her. Um, eventually, she would admit that she had owned a copy of the Rubaiyat, but she had given her copy to a man named Alfred Boxall, who mm -hmm. was still like, they thought, oh my gosh, well, maybe this guy is, maybe the Samaritan um, man is, you know, Alfred Boxall, and, but Alfred Boxall's still alive. Okay. And he has the copy that she gave him. Okay. So, um, they do find out that she had a son the year before. 1947 is when her son was born. And his name is Robin. So, um, she denies knowing him. She, you know, she doesn't know this guy. Mm -hmm. And later she would come to them and say, hey, I don't want to have anything to do with this because she was just going to get married to a guy named Prosper Thompson. And um, it was kind of a... Her son was born out of wedlock, um, that kind of thing. So she didn't want to be associated with this case of an unknown man. Right. She's so like, they I'm already, I already have a bastard child. Like, please Exactly. Don't right. Anything. It's frowned upon all of these things. Yeah. It's not socially acceptable. And so they actually omitted her name from the case file, which is really? unusual, but not. It, it's unusual, but it's also not unusual for the time and kind of based on the circumstances. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I don't know. Kind of a weird. I feel like thing. nowadays they'd be like tough. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like, no, this is part of a case. Yeah. It is. It is. Yeah. Um, an eyewitness would later state that they had seen an unknown man knocking on Joe's door. And, you know, when she didn't answer, he went to her neighbor's house and was like, hey, do you know if Joe's like in town, if she's going to be back? Um, so a couple people remember seeing an unknown man coming and looking for her. This, yeah, this lady. Yep. So we're going to jump to 2007. <gasps> we, yeah, it's okay. been going on a long that time. Long. Yep. Yeah. And the, his, um, his grave just has a marker that says, here's lies the unknown man found on Somerton Beach, December 1st, 1948. Wow. No idea. Nobody. Yeah. So Derek Abbott is a physicist. He's a PhD. He has a PhD in electrical and um, electrical and something. Let's just say he has a PhD in electrical engineering. Okay. So he's really smart. He is obsessed with this case. Okay. He finds out more information. He starts Facebook groups. Um, you know, there's kind of like couch detectives kind of deal uh -huh. that are getting into it. And, you know, um, so he reached out to a guy named Jerry Filtis, and he's a retired detective and he has 40 years of experience. Um, so in 2009, Filtis and Abbott meet. Um, by this time, Joe had died. Um, but, uh, he looks into so she had two kids she had robin and she had a daughter um let's see so jerry felt this and derek abbott meet and um he finds out that um robin was a dancer 
that Joe had taken him to dance classes and he would later actually become a ballet dancer. So he actually finds a close-up picture of Robin in the newspaper. And what do you think he finds? He, he has looks this, exactly he like looks exactly like the Summerton man and he has ears yeah. that match and he also has the hypodontia. <gasps> Which happens with less than 2%. Exactly. That is a genetically passed on feature. Mm -hmm. Um, So, (laughs) yeah. He is 99.9% sure that Robin is the Somerton man's son. Mm -hmm. So, they think that maybe, you know, he showed up at Joe's house to try to, like, maybe he found out that she had a kid. And was trying to repair things or not. There's another theory going around that she, that Joe or Jessica or Justin, whatever she goes by, was a Soviet spy master. <gasps> or a spy master, maybe not a Soviet. Oh, sorry. A communist spy master posing as a housewife. Um, but he was also a spy. Maybe she was supposed to take a, you know, hit out on him. Um her daughter in an interview would recall a time when Joe said, Oh, I'm surprised. I remember so much Russian. And her daughter was like, excuse me. What? When have you ever spoken Russian? When have you ever learned Russian? It came out of nowhere and there was nothing else ever said about it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Abbott tries to get in touch with um, Joe's kids And he finds out that Robin had passed away from cancer in March 19th, 2009. So he just, he just missed him. Just missed him. Yep. So he continues to investigate and he tries to find out if um, Robin had any kids. And he does find out that um, he did have a daughter with a woman named Roma, Mm -hmm. who they had decided to put her up for adoption. Um, She had they were both in new zealand with the australian ballet and she found out she was pregnant and they decided to put her up for adoption so they could continue to pursue their dancing careers Mm -hmm. and growing up uh, rachel didn't know that she was adopted and she would notice that unlike her family she was more inclined to ballet dancing theater (sighs) Um, and she always wondered where that came from So when she was in her early 20s, her birth mother, Roma, actually got in contact with her and was like, hey, I'm your biological mother. Um, So they reconnected and Rachel moved to Brisbane to actually be closer to Roma. So Abbott contacts Rachel and says, hey, I'm trying to figure this whole case out. Um, Would you be interested in meeting me? Would that be okay? So she picks him up from the airport. They spend the weekend together talking about all of these things. And by the end of the weekend, he had actually proposed to her. I was like, they fell in love, didn't they? (laughs) They did. Yeah. Yep. By the end of the week, you had had one job. (laughs) You had one job. Yeah. And there was something, I guess, that he was like, he asked me about my teeth and my blood. (laughs) And I was in love. It's just kind of, it was a little bit ridiculous. Um, So it was kind of a shock to those people that were working on this case, especially Feltis. And Feltis and Abbott are no longer friends. They 
actually really don't like each other at all. They're enemies. <laughs> wow. Okay. Because he felt this was like, yeah, so you're doing research for this and you find this woman and you marry her. Like, did you just do it for DNA? That kind of a deal. Like, they just, oh. you know, they just don't, they not a big, not fans of each other. Uh-huh. So Abbott's still pursuing this case and they actually have petitions um, to exhume the Summerton man's body to try to figure out, you know, because he deserves to be, he could be someone's, you know, brother, mm-hmm. son, whoever. His family deserves to know what happened to him. Mm-hmm. So they had had a request in 2016, I think, as well as 2018, and both of them were denied. And then April 2021, he was actually exhumed. <gasps> mm-hmm. I just got chills. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I love you. Have more. You have more information than I have. A little tiny that one bit. podcast. I have said a, that I, they did it in sixteen. I have a tiny. I have a t- yeah. So that plaster cast that they took of him, mm-hmm. they found hairs that were stuck in the plaster cast, <gasps> and this was in two thousand seventeen. I think uh-huh. they were able to have them analyzed, but the, I mean that takes a long time. Mm-hmm. Honestly, um, but they did find out that his mother belonged to haplogroup H4A1A1A, which is only one percent of Europeans, which is a good step towards you know finding this guy's family, right? Um, but so he has been exhumed. They are actually currently working on <sighs> DNA examinations and testing, and hopefully. In the next coming months and you know years, I'll have an update for you on how he actually died and who he was. But for now, that's the information that we have on the Summerton man. So maybe he was a Soviet spy or a spy. I guess doesn't have to just be Soviet. Um, maybe he returned to town for Joe and Robin. Maybe there's another theory floating around that he was a black market racketeer, and that. Um, Maybe Joe's husband had something to do with it. Maybe they conspired and killed him together. Like, it's just bananas. This is the wildest case. Unsolved John Doe. Wow. One of the longest mysteries that I've ever heard of. Wow, that's crazy. Crazy? Yeah. And there's, like, still people who could be his living relatives. Right, yeah. like, yeah, she could be his granddaughter. The lady that Abbott married could yeah. be his, the Summerton man's granddaughter. That's wild, totally wild. So that is. Like, the can I have man. a pint of your blood for testing? <gasps> right, I really am interested in your teeth and your blood. What like, you what a pickup line! <laughs> yeah, that's wild. <laughs> that's so crazy. Could you imagine somebody calling you out of the blue, though? No, being like, hey. I think. I'm researching this dead guy that nobody knows who he is, but he might be related to you. You want to help? You, with, I'd love to meet. Can you pick me up at the airport tomorrow? <laughs> like you can right, like, what Uber would you say? What would you a... even say? I'm like, I don't think I'm down for that. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I would honestly think it'd be spam. Like, this is spam. Probably. This is someone trying to kidnap me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Someone trying to swindle me out of my money. 
Exactly. Yeah, no, thank you. But I mean, <laughs> it would take some convincing. But if they were truly trying to solve a murder, I'd be yeah, cooperative. It's fascinating. Once they convinced I mean, me that it was legit. And the the I mean, like I said, Astonishing Legends, they always do such in-depth. I mean, if you want to get more information on this, I mean, they go into details on the tie. They go into details on the poisons. I mean, they go down every single possible rabbit hole, but we'd be here for three more hours. So I tried to give you the condensed version of it. I love it. But yeah, go check them out. We'll have a link on our website and all of the good things. Well, cool. Yeah. Some hell and some mysterious murder. Mm-hmm. Maybe not murder. Maybe we not. Don't know. We don't know. We don't have know. no idea. Um, awesome. Well, thank you guys for tuning in today. We love that you were here with us and spending time listening to some crazy history about the world. Um, remember to check us out on our social media accounts, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of the things that you do, we do. I think. <laughs> Probably a lot of it we do. Yeah. Come check us out. Come follow us. Say hi. Come, come check us out. You can send us an email at more than myths podcast if we got anything wrong or if you have questions or want to say hey. We would love to hear from you. At gmail.com. Did I not say that? Gmail.com. You just said more than myths podcast. I think at gmail.com should be in under I don't know you anybody guys, that female. uses. AOL. I see it it out there. I'm like, whoa. At (laughs) hotmail.com. Right. (laughs) Whoa. I mean, that's cool if you use that still. (laughs) It's fine. We're not judging you. No. Wherever you get your podcasts, um, if you can just follow and subscribe, leave us a review so we can get out there, get all the curious friends, collect them. Collect them. Maybe not say it's so creepy. <laughs> collect them. No, I definitely <laughs> meant to say it creepy. Because <laughs> like, what a fun way to say this. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, we would like to collect more curious friends. So mm-hmm. if you like us, remember to tell your friends, tell your family, and tell your mom. Tell your mother. Until next time, stay curious. Bye. Bye.